Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11 and 12, he said, these things happened to them, speaking of the Old Testament, as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. The fulfillment of the ages has come upon us, upon this generation. The fulfillment of the ages. Jesus Christ, the promised things throughout the Word of God is coming. And then in verse 12 there in 1 Corinthians 10, it says, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. I hear the Lord saying that today through the church. And thank God, it's like those old-time Pentecostals, I thank God that he picked me up out of the mire and the muck and set my feet on the solid rock. That's what he did. I'm glad he did that. Praise God he did that. Now I'm standing firm. I was firm yesterday, pretty firm today, but I need to be careful lest I fall. That's not legalistic. My salvation is secure in Christ Jesus. When he removes that reproach from me, I have been saved from the penalty and guilt of sin. I'm saved. I'm set free from that. And I am being saved daily from the very power of sin that would try to tempt me and hold me back when I yield to the Savior and allow Him to be Lord of my life. I am being saved from the very power of sin. And one day we will literally be, be saved from the very presence of sin because there will, be, there will be no more sin or sorrow or weeping anymore. That will be eternal. So it's an all-inclusive salvation, past, present, and future. I am secure in Him. Are you secure in Him? Now, the devil will come around and tell you, did you really get saved? Did he ever lie to you like that? He used to come around, just beat me up, and i say, well, man, maybe I didn't, because if I did, I wouldn't be thinking these things. And I, I know none of y'all are like that. He used to just slap me around, the devil would slap me around and say, oh, you, you, you don't, you're not really. If you were really saved, you wouldn't even be thinking those thoughts. Well, that's probably right. Man, I don't know what to do. I don't know, what can I do? And I just didn't, you know, I didn't know because I hadn't really heard any more truth. And the devil will keep you nailed to the floor like he nails one foot to, or shoe to the floor, and all you do is you, you're spinning around, you can't run a race, you barely just feel like you can't get past trying to figure out whether you're saved or not. Pastor Tommy Scott, who was our pastor in Tulsa, Oklahoma, used to tell a story about when he was working in a grocery store, and this old Baptist pastor come in to him and, and said he's a big old guy, and he said... Uh, Son, are you saved? And Tommy Scott looked up at him. He said, well, I'm trying to be. Trying to be? There ain't no trying to be about it. You either saved or you not. <laughs> and he said, I didn't know what to say. And, and so the Baptist preacher told him some things, and he said he went into the restroom of that grocery store, and he gave his life to Jesus. Strange altar, isn't it? <laughs> you believe you can be saved in a restroom? You can be saved. That's what's so great about it because it's when we turn from ourselves and, and accept Jesus Christ. So it's more than just delivering us from reproach or from the reproach of sin. The Bible talks about that uh, blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord and, and all the righteous, you know, that's a blessing, but sin is a reproach. That's what it says. And so sin is a reproach. But in 
what we find prevalent in today is even in churches as a whole is we don't want to offend anyone. And so I can see just like the church at Pergamos would tolerate the things like Balaam and, uh, or, or Jezebel when Ahab married her and he wanted to make sure that his northern borders were secure, so he married her and she was an idol worshiper and brought that into the kingdom. He ended up worshiping idols and stuff, but it was tolerant so he could tolerate the, he tolerated what, who she was and what she did so he could get along and not have war on the border so there wouldn't be an uprising. Didn't work out too good for him. Didn't work out good for her either, but we got to be tolerant today of everything in the church. We can't say this or that about what the Word of God says about marriage of one man to one woman. It was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. It was, you know, it's clear to me. And, and we got to be, what does the Word of God say? It's not that we're trying to offend anybody. God loves us all. He loves, he loves the sinner. He hates the sin. So it's not about hating someone. It's not a hate crime. It's not that at all. It's what, what does God hate? He hates the sin, the abhorrence of that. And that, because that is giving yourself to something else, an idol in a sense, another philosophy. And so, but in the church, no, I don't want to talk about it. You know, don't want to talk about whether or not we as a nation should take a stand and Stand with Israel and, and take a stand on the Word of God like this country was founded upon. Oh, we couldn't do that in church because that's talking about politics. No, I don't want to talk about politics. I don't want to talk about a party or this or that or what party you belong to. I, want to, I belong to the body of Christ, and we're called to be salt and light. Salt purifies, light exposes, and we need to be an example in our community and everybody that we come around of what we believe and that this is a country and what this country was built upon so that our country then, when our nation, when it's judged by God, won't be like Sodom and Gomorrah when Abraham said, well, if there's 50 righteous, will you spare it? And God said, sure, if there's 50 righteous, I'll spare it. Well, if there's 40, 30, 20, might be a little different countdown. If there's 10, would you spare it? Sure. And Abraham got a little nervous, you know, but... That's the thing is, when you begin to drift, you begin to drift. Gotta go to the right, gotta go to the right, gotta go to the left, go to... You know, we just want to just go with the flow. I'm not knocking the song we sing, but we kind of got to get in step with, with the world. And, and that's when we find one of the churches, these seven churches, was that way. Just a corrupted church of Thyatira that was corrupted with the things of the world and just going along with whatever the world said, we'll incorporate that and graft that in so that we can just open up and we'll be just like the world. I mean, you know, times change and everything else. We don't walk around with long talits that's on the ground with fringes there anymore. I mean, certain things change. Absolutely, but there are things that don't change. And we need to know the difference. <laughs> That's the key. We've got to know the difference and live a life before God that is upright. That would exalt the Lord. So verse 2 says, In that day the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors in, in Israel or those who escaped Israel. Or those uh, Various translations say different things. Who's got a King James? Bob, 
What does it say there in verse 2 in the King James? Did I catch you off guard? It's, but though it says those who escaped. Some it says those who survived. Um, those who have gone. So it's talking about those that aren't there. They, they escaped this. They're out of there. When the tribulation comes to the face of this earth that's been promised, from Daniel that promised that it was going to be here, there were 70 weeks of seven years each of that seven-year week, so to speak, that was allotted out, and 69 of those have been fulfilled. There's still one coming, and when it comes, I don't want to be here. And we have a promise that says we don't have to be here. In fact, if you want to turn to the book of Revelation, we'll be going back and forth there, and, and um, we can do it on the fly. Is that okay? Do it on the fly? In chapter 3, it, it, we did look at this church, the church of the Philadelphia church. In chapter 3, beginning with verse 7, it says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true. And that's the way we need to be, holy and true. Who holds the key of David. That's that branch that Isaiah is talking about in verse 2 of Isaiah 4. The branch, because Jeremiah brings it out also that there will be a shoot, an offshoot, a branch that comes up out of that stump of Jesse, which was David's father, and it will shoot up, and that's the Messiah. And so the Jewish people knew that they were looking for this branch of David from the lineage of David, that that's who the Messiah would come through. And in, to the church of Philadelphia, he says, who holds the keys of David, the authority of David, to rule and reign as the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, on the earth and over the earth. And so he says, what he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door. So he opens a door that we can't open with our works. Uh, it's only through our love, our love to him, and he opens the door for us. You didn't choose me, John 15, 16, but I chose you and I ordained you that you would go and bring forth fruit. He chooses us and he'll open the door that we could never open. He says, and, and I know your deeds. I place before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. How does he know this? What's Jesus doing right now? I guess we could put it in this way. What on earth is Jesus doing today? Or if I change the vocal intonations, it might be, what on earth is he doing? What's he doing on the earth today? What is he doing? Tending his herd of sheep, or flock of sheep. Some of us are more like a herd. <laughs> We're more like a herd. Tending his flock. How does he do about doing that? I mean, what is your picture of Jesus, like his typical day? What does he do? He's search, searching hearts, okay. He is interceding for us. The Bible says that he's at the right hand of the Father, always making intercession for us, because just as Satan went before God's throne to accuse Job, when all the angels came to give their report that day, Satan goes before God's throne to accuse you, Marta, and Myrtle, <laughs> Hadassah. Rachel has adopted that as her middle name, her middle name so that was Esther's. But it means Myrtle, so uh, I'll just call you Myrtle. 
What's he doing? He's there to defend us, right? He's there to make intercession for us. But, but okay, with that, what is he doing, though, when we're together? What's he doing as we assemble ourselves together? Because that's what the writer of Hebrews says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And so much the more when you see that day approaching. So we're talking about that day. We're talking about the end times. Isaiah's talking about the, the end times. So here we are. This is it. We're here. And so when we're assembled together, what you doing, Jesus? What is he doing right now? Do you believe he's here? I believe he's here. So what do you think he's doing? He's doing this. He was watching a while ago when you gave your offering. <laughs> he's watching. Because in Revelation, turn back. You can hold it verse chapter 3 but when he starts out in chapter 1 verse 10 John was talking about where he was and he just said on on the Lord's day I was in the spirit and I heard uh, behind me a loud voice like a trumpet what's the Lord's day that's Sunday. Well, we call it the Lord's Day because we give it to him because it's the first day of the week. But John's talking about yet future, the Lord's Day. It's not the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is that great and terrible day when he comes to judge. At the end of the tribulation, he will come and he will judge. by Just his very presence will destroy the enemies of, of God that's assembled. But the Lord's Day, it's like... Um, it's a happy day. It's like it's your birthday. It's, it's the Lord's day. It's when he then is about to take the throne that the father gets off of the throne for Jesus to sit down the coronation day when he is then uh, receives his bride. It's the Lord's day. The bride's going to be there and, and we're going to have a wedding and we're going to have a banquet. We get to eat and, and bluebell ice cream is going to be in heaven. <laughs> Got to be. And it's going to be a great day, and it's his day. That's the Lord's day. So John was, he's, he was there. He was caught up to that particular time, which is now time, right now. And so he looks, and he heard behind him a, a voice speaking as were a trumpet, a loud voice like a trumpet. And that voice says in verse 11 of chapter 1, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. Then he names them Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And John says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands, someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. Underline eyes. Fire. Verse 15. His feet, underline feet, his feet are highlighted on your smartphone or app. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. Bronze or brass glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. 
His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. Wait a minute, is this the same John that was laying in his lap at the Last Supper? Well, it's a little, this is a different Jesus, isn't it? He's, he's meaning business right here. And he says, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. So he sees this judge. He come to judge. <laughs> he come to judge. And when he looks, he looks back over down through the church period, and he sees these golden lampstands, which he tells us later that that's the seven churches, and the seven stars are the angels to those seven churches, the messengers to those churches. So he looks, and it could be today. This John might have been taken to today. This could be it. And this, you know, before we get out of here, it could be the rapture. We're caught up to that particular time. But what he's seeing, he's looking back over time, and he sees the church age. And for us today, we'd be looking over back over 2,000 plus years, and he begins to see the church and how the church and church is, but what's made up of the body of Christ. And so he's going to write these letters and what God's going to point out. Not only were they representative of history, literally, of dispensational times in history of the church, but it's these attitudes that these churches have and that people, individuals have today. And so he looks back and he says, and you write what I'm getting ready to tell you about these churches, which also applies to us, and, but it identifies who he is. That he is the judge and his eyes are like fire. He's watching and he's walking and he's judging. And he's seeing what we're doing. And if you read chapter 2 and 3 in Revelation, you will notice after each church, what are the famous words that Jesus says as he closes the letter to each church? I'll give you the first few words. He that hath an... My dad used to say it this way. I ain't talking to hear myself talk. After whatever it was he proceeded to tell me. So I better listen because if I didn't listen, the next time was going to be bad. So I don't know if you caught or not, but Jesus isn't messing around here. Eyes like fire, flaming eyes. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace or brass, which speaks of judgment. Bronze and brass speaks of judgment, the fire, fiery judgment that burned, you know, is tested and tried by the fire. So what he's doing is he's judging the churches and each individual in the church. You and I today, Jesus is here watching you and listening to me, and he is judging what I have to say according to his word. You see, in the in the armor that Paul tells us in Ephesians that we're to put on, what does he say about our feet? That our feet are to be of the gospel of peace. His feet in here are what? Burning brass, bronze with fire. That's the word of God too. The gospel of peace the shalom is completeness, and it's, it's, it brings about a, a secure place, but it can also, to get that peace, sometimes there has to be a fight or a war to get rid of the resistance or the, whatever it is, the sin, get it out. And so he's walking through judging the churches and judging each one of us, and he's seeing, and he always says, I know your deeds. 
I know your works. And you've done good here, done good here. He must have taken that leadership course about sandwiching it together. You know, if you're going to have to talk to somebody about a problem, you always sandwich it together. You tell them about the good first, and then you, you uh, put the st bad stuff in the middle, and then you sandwich it and put something good at the end. <laughs> right? And that's what they tell you. You know, hey, man, you've been doing a great job. I got, that's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Boy, you know, you need to work on this area. But hey, man, love you, and have a good day. <laughs> and Jesus said, I know your works, and you did pretty good on this but I got something against you, you know? And then uh, he closes it out, and he really toasts that bread. He says, uh, he that has an ear, let him hear what I'm saying. People, there's an urgency about this that we can't even express. We have got to have hearing ears. We need to take a selah, a pause, and to consider what he is saying to us and to the churches and either add an amen or an oh me and get it taken care of because now is the time we get an opportunity to get it right and then we can either be a self-absorbed type of person bride wife of the seven wives there in isaiah i ought to write a book called the seven wives of isaiah in, in isaiah they got the seven sons. Isn't there a movie out now, The Seventh Son of the Seventh Son? What about the seventh daughter of a seventh? You know? But anyway, he's talking about we can be one of these seven that are there. We can be self-absorbed say, look, all I want is, look, I just want, I just want to be saved. And leave me alone. I, I don't want to get too close to that because I still like to go party. You taking Jesus partying with you, I have to just tell you that. He goes with you. And he's watching and he's judging. I don't like that. I don't like that. Well, he didn't ask if we liked it. That's just the way it is. I mean, and so you then, he says that our works will be tried as by fire. If it's wood, hay, and stubble, it will be consumed. If it's gold, silver, precious stones, then it will be purified and just come out even refined. You just, if you put the torch, put the fire to gold, it just gets pure, gets better. The streets of heaven, of the New Jerusalem, when it comes down, the streets are made of gold, but they're such a pure gold, it says it's almost transparent. Charlie, what would you have to do to gold to get it that pure, transparent almost? Just reflective, I guess, huh? A lot of fire. So we, have, we need to respond to the look and to the, his walk through our midst. You can fool some of the people some of the time. This is my, what my mom used to say. You can fool some of the people some of the time, most of the people most of the time, but you can't fool God. And she said, and you can't fool me. <laughs> she added that part. Her and God were like that. <laughs> Mama always knew what I was doing when I thought I was smoking and nobody didn't know anything about it, you know. Isn't that so stupid? I mean, when you don't smoke, you know when somebody's been smoking, right? Isn't that stupid? And I think she didn't know. She said, she said, well, honey, come here just a second. Well, how you been doing? <laughs> Busted. <laughs> I didn't get me some of that bazooka bubble gum to eat you on a little bit. It wasn't on my breath, but you couldn't, couldn't get it off your hands or your clothes. You know, I tried it. I was riding with somebody, you know. Mama, she's like Jesus. <laughs> she knows. She knows, you know. 
So we can fool some of the people some of the time, most of the people most of the time, but you can't fool God. He is walking in the midst of his church, and he's seeing who we are and what we're doing, how we're responding or not responding to his word, the truth, the truth. And we're to worship him in spirit and in truth. According to his word is how we worship him. He's not begging. No, he's not begging. He's, he's not going to. It's not, if we don't choose to devote ourselves to him, he's not begging. And we're the ones that miss out. We will pay a price for that. Paul says, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. So where's Jesus and what's he doing right now? He's walking right now. He's walking through the midst of this. He might be sitting by some of you. By the way, he don't like those chairs linked together because it's too tight for him. It's a little hard for him to get in there. <laughs> we'll get into our bigger sanctuary. We're going to unhook them suckers. And we're going to spread out a little bit. That'd be good. We're getting real close, getting real close. Yeah, what is he doing in the midst of the churches? He's speaking and judging. He walks through watching and judging, but he's also speaking. And he says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. What is he speaking? There's been so many times people will come up and say, Pastor, uh, I heard this uh, a podcast or a YouTube video or something, some other pastor, some other place was pe preaching a message and said it's just almost just exactly like, like what we were preaching here. But there's no way we could have known that because it was happening right about the same time. And, but I said, well, that's how the Holy Spirit does it. I mean, we can't take credit for it. It's just like we're just mailmen. We just delivered the mail. He's the one that writes it. You know, we just have to deliver it. But it's amazing. But he's speaking. If we're tapped in, if we, if we got the lampstand and the messenger over Light Christian Center, which we should have, the right to exist as a church, is, he said the seven lampstands are the seven churches and the seven stars that he holds in his hands are the messenger to that church. And he gives us the right to exist as a church, just as somebody gives the right to exist to a Carabas. I was going to say McDonald's, but why go there? <laughs> when you can have a Pollo Rosa Maria, <laughs> or you can have a chicken sandwich, but I think I'd rather have some good stuff. You know what I'm talking about? And, and so we, we have the right to exist as a church that God called this church. I know he did. I don't know if you know it or not, but I know he did. And you say, are you the star? No, I'm not the star. Huh? No, he has an angel that's assigned to this church. That sounds weird. That's almost like it's like, what you talking about? I know it does. It just really sounds strange. But just as people have, you know, we believe we have guardian angels and angels that watch over us. Don't you believe that? I might ought to do a teaching on angels, but there's an angel over this church that has to give a report. Boy, Christian was trying to edit down some stuff for a podcast of my message. and Bless his heart. <laughs> you think you have to listen to it. You don't want to get to listen to it and go away. He's like, oh. Yeah. Well, you and that angel have a tough job. <laughs> you got to bring the podcast before the throne. Like That Kansas Oakey Texan guy, he can't even, he's got an accent that's strange. But that messenger gives a report of this church and, and what we're responsible to. And to whom is given much, much is required. So see, so what, that, what does that mean? Then we ought to go someplace where there's not a lot of truth taught, so then I won't be responsible for it. 
Mm-hmm, right? Because that's the lazy way out, right? Because if we hear the truth and we don't do the truth, then what? Then we're responsible for it. Well, I got news for you. If you're speeding down Highway 6 and it, you pass Santa Fe and whatever the other one is and you're getting ready to go into Tiki Island or whatever, what is that before you get up on 45? Hitchcock. They've got it fixed now, but they used to not have the speed sign. They were messed up because you come down, it's 45. And then right around uh, Freddy'sville, it went up to 55. But somewhere through there, they, it was 50 and 55. They dropped, they got them mixed up. They put the signs in the wrong place. Guess who got a ticket? Doing 56 miles an hour. I apologize for the one mile over, but it was supposed to be 50. I said, no, it's not supposed to be 50 because right the other side, on the other side is the same thing. They got it mixed up. They got to change now because I figured if I was going to have to pay them my 380-some dollars, that I at least get to talk about it. I can talk a long time when I want to talk a long time. Well, it's the state. It's the state. Well, the state got it fixed right, but even though you don't know, and I didn't know, I was going through there, and, and later on, Christian will be asking me, what, were, what was the point? The point was... <laughs> <laughs> the point was that I didn't know, but that didn't make any difference. I got judged for it anyway. I had to pay the fine. That's the point. So you might say, I want to go where, I'm not, where there's not a whole lot of truth taught, so then that way I won't have to be responsible for not... Oh, no, we're still going to be responsible because it's there. It's in the book. And the word's going out somewhere. You can keep doing this. In my office at the house, I've got a lot of the African carvings up on shelves and stuff. And our little granddaughter, Alexis, came in, and she's looking up on this one. She's a poppy. What's that? <laughs> and it's the top shelf, and it's all ostriches that's been hand-carved in there. One has his head looking around. One's got his head down in the sand. All of a sudden, we got an ostrich. Egg. So I took them all down, and I was trying to show her because she had never seen an ostrich before. And she's like, well, this is weird. And I was trying to explain to her how big it was. But you want to know, why did it have its head down? I said, well, they put their head in the sand. Why? <laughs> and I said, I'm thinking, this, you know, these kids, they don't, it's like, you know, it's concrete to them. It's like, you know, he's trying to hide. <laughs> the head's the smallest part of that whole bird, you know. <laughs> but he thinks, he thinks he's hidden. We might think we're hidden. We don't, you know, we, oh, no, I don't see it. I'm not responsible, but you got something else showing. <laughs> You're going to be judged for it. Like that woman walking through Hobby Airport, Sandy and I was, we we're going to catch a plane. She just got off of one, and evidently she must have been in the restroom where the stalls were very small because she, when she was tucking stuff in, she tucked too much in back here. It was all tucked in <laughs> back here, and she just walking. I mean, she was just going to town. <laughs> and everybody, everybody was turning and looking like that, you know? Like, what was, whoa, I don't know if I can, oh, I don't know if I want to see that or not. <laughs> Sorry. And um, she didn't know it, but everybody saw it, and she's going to be, I'm sure when she got in the car, she felt real strange. About when they told her what happened. Sometimes we don't think that we got, you know, what's going on, but it is. And God's watching, and He's got somebody watching over us that we, holds us accountable for the things. 
And people, as a church, we can say we want to be like one of those seven brides. That all we want to do is just take away my sin. Just give me the eternal security. And, hey, man, I'll take care of the rest of it. I can, I'll YouTube a message in. I'll catch a podcast somewhere, um, you know, because i got to do this and i got to do that. And it's on my agenda. We want Jesus, but we want him on our terms. And, and I'll check in when I need to check in and whatever, but it's going to be on my terms, not on his terms. What kind of, what kind of relationship is that? It's not a very good one, is it? Not much love in there, is there? And that's what he's trying to say here. Hey, mate, wait a minute. That, that's, not, that's not what I'm looking for in a bride. What is he finding in the church? That's the other question. We know where he is, what he's doing. He's walking in the midst of the church. He's watching, walking. He's judging. He's listening. He's speaking because he says he that has an ear, let him hear what I'm saying. What's he finding today? What does he find when he walks through this church? What does he find when he walks through your temple? When he checks it out? Because he is. Do we let someone, you know, I got so mad, younger, I think Sandy, I don't know, I, we had just been married, yeah, I, I've told this story before, it was, but the guy told me I was smiling too much when we were singing, and I got so mad that I was okay for a while, but I slung that 20-ounce hammer all day long, driving in eight penny galvanized nails, and by the end of the day, I was setting those suckers like you putting them in sheetrock. Nice dimple there. I got so mad and I let him and his words drive me further from the Lord than what I was. I let somebody else control me because of what they said. You know, Satan can do all kinds of stuff. He'll do whatever he can to try to hinder your relationship with the Lord. Because that's when the Lord told me. I was saying, well, yeah, but, you know, and I'm just whining and griping back to Jesus, you know, because he don't understand, you know, he just don't know anything. Like kids with their parents, you don't know, you don't know anything, you don't know. But anyway, that's what I was doing, and, and he says, "So then, if he's between you and me, who's closer?" Right. <laughs> okay, that's all that conversation. So if you're letting somebody stand between you and him, and you haven't got over it, you're letting that person control you. You're letting that action control you, because what it does, it controls your thoughts and your mind and your actions. And that frustration will push you away from Christ rather than pull you to him. Oh, we ought to run to Jesus when, when things like this happen instead of getting mad. What can we do about those things? So we don't want to be self-absorbed that it's all about us. It's all about, I want to do my own thing. I don't have time to do all this other stuff. I just need just your name. Just, you know, take away my reproach of sin. That's it. And that'll take care of it. I got that part settled. Now I got all my stuff to do. I got all my stuff to do. Wow. How much do we give to him? What does he expect from us? It, you know, I don't do much marriage counseling anymore. Not a whole lot about people getting married here lately for some reason. But anyway, um, but one of the things I always do is like, what do you expect out of this relationship? Oh, they thought they all had it worked out until they started talking about it. <laughs> so you, I told her, you write down your expectations for this relationship. 
told him, you write down your expectations. Uh-oh, we got a problem here. And big difference. And sometimes we do more research on a car on, that we're going to buy than we do on a relationship we're going to get involved in. And some of the people that's, you know, been around a while, I don't know if that sounds right or not. Some that are, are our age, we kind of know that, yeah, well, maybe I should have looked a little deeper into that. Maybe we should have talked about that a little bit more. What about our relationship with the Lord? What does he expect? What's his expectations of us? If we're going to be his bride, you think we should fulfill some of those expectations? And what do we expect from him? I don't expect anything. That's what the seven, the seven brides were telling in Isaiah. We don't expect nothing from you. All I need is your name, and uh, that's it. I don't need anything else you got. Nothing. It's all about me and my thing. And we carry that attitude into our relationship with Jesus, and it's all about us. And when something doesn't go our way, we're mad, and we're mad at, well, we would never get mad at God, but we'll get mad at this other person or whatever, but in a sense, God's saying, no, you know what, you've, you've allowed that argument to come in and divide us. Have you ever had one of those discussions, maybe it's a family thing or something like that, uh, men and women, that all of a sudden, now, the, the, now that conversation came in to, this was going to be your evening out, and this conversation about something else has come into that, and now you're talking about that, and it's ruined your whole evening? Have you, that, that don't happen to y'all? Sandy, I've been married 42 years, and it's happened a couple times <laughs> a day. <laughs> you know, I mean, not, I'm not saying it's, it's her or me. I'm just saying all of a sudden we bring in. We bring there, and we dump our trash. It's like you go out to eat a nice, let's say, Carabas, since we've already given them billing today. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, I tell Sandy, oh, wait a minute. I'll be right back. I go out to the car. I bring in our trash. And shake it all out on top of the table before they bring my polio Rosa Maria. And I got all this garbage laying on there and say, what in the world are you doing? Well, I need to sort through this and we didn't need to talk about some of this stuff. Or so-and-so says such and such and here it is. Now I got all my garbage laying right there on. Well, what kind of evening are we going to have? Well, thanks a lot. I didn't really expect to have to go through garbage. I thought we were going to have a little time out. Now, this didn't really happen. <laughs> Oh, you know, it's just kind of for sake of illustration, you know. But yet it could just as well have been if we bring up a conversation like that. You know what I'm saying? So what about Jesus? It's the only time that we talk to him is when we want to dump out all of our garbage or, or somebody else's garbage and all that stuff. Do we ever have any of those times when we just come and say, you know, Lord, I didn't really come to ask you for anything. I just come to tell you I love you. Wow. I just wanted to tell you how much I love you. And that just, I just can't, it's just unbelievable almost. You are exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ever, ever ask or think. You think Jesus likes to hear those words? Guys, would you like to hear those words from your wife? Those guys, never mind. <laughs> we need to, it all, it needs to be about him. We need to exalt him and lift him up. And, and when we do that, I want to tell you, he will exalt us. Ladies, the quickest way to get your husband to set you on a pedestal is to just let him know that you respect him in, in the sense that respect is that you just appreciate and value him for who he is, his uniqueness and 
what his talents and stuff do. You bring him down to a worthless, no good, whatever, and, and that's it. Forget it. But when you do that, then he will value you and lift you up, and he will love you as he loves himself, you know, and do for you. Sandy and I rode the Harley to the hospital yesterday to see our son, Jared, and I didn't think we were going to be there that long, but there was a lot, of, a lot of stuff going on. He had a lot of difficulties and challenges and stuff, so we didn't leave till about 10 o'clock last night. Let me tell you, when we left, it was nice and warm when, when we left the house. When we left the hospital, we were wiping off that dew that settles in on those tar- Tony knows what I'm talking about. And uh, we're riding, and it's like 53 degrees, which isn't bad. We were in the suburb, and I'd had the seat warmer on. But on the Harley, getting a little chilly, you know, and a little, little cold. And, 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 you know, sometimes things come out, we don't expect them to be that, that way. Uh, yeah, where was I going with this, Christian? Trim it out later. <laughs> but what I did was, here's the point. I'm, so I'll let you know, you can go back. Here's the point. When we got to the house, I was so concerned about Sandy. I thought, man, bless her heart. So I'd try to cover her leg up when I'm riding like this, you know, put, these guys are riding, know what I'm talking about, and trap a little bit so that some of that heat from the engine could come back there and, and get on her leg. Because I asked her if she wanted to put the rain suit on. No, she didn't want to do that. And so then I, if I could get it on cruise when we get like 45, I'd put my other arm down, try to get a little bit of heat there. So as soon as we got to the house, I went in, and she's got a little electric blanket on her side. On the <laughs> <laughs> so I turned that electric blanket on, and I got some things all warmed up and everything, and there was a lot of stuff yet to do beforehand. And later she comes and she says, oh, man, I wish I had turned my blanket on. And I said, she picked it up, she says, it's already on. I says, honey, I'm taking care of you. She said, oh, how nice of you. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> well, I might as well stop right there. <laughs> no. But yeah, I had done that and got the heater going and, and everything. Why? Because I was thinking about her. I was concerned about her, you know. I'm telling you, you know, that's what Jesus wants to do for us. He wants to take care of us. You know, because the whole time she didn't say, well, that was a stupid thing for us to do is bring this Harley. What in the world were you even thinking about when we left the house? I would have said, I don't have a clue. Yeah. I mean, she could have. And she could have said, every time we'd come to a stop, she could have said, I am freezing. Well, I hope you hurry up and get home. And could have just made that a miserable trip. I was, you know, usually when you're on a motorcycle, you're wanting the lights to be green so you don't have to stop. I was thinking, Lord, let the light turn red so we can stop a little bit and let her warm up some. Well, I got every green light that there was. <laughs> I, in fact, I laughed to her. I said, man, when you, want a, when you want a red light, you can't get one. I mean, that, that, that's the way it goes. And so I was trying to help. But she could have made it miserable. That whole trip home, she could have just made it miserable, but she didn't. She didn't say a word. She'd laugh and, or said something. I'd, when I'd say something about being cold, she said, that's okay, it's warm when we stop. And she just made it pleasant. And I thought, man, this is my responsibility. You know, if we'll just do that to Jesus, if we'll just let him know, you know what, yeah, it's a tough time. I know, if, you know, didn't know this was going to happen. You knew it was going to happen, but, you know, hey, this, this is what it is, but I can still love you and love on you and thank you for who you are that you're over me that you're my covering that i can spend this time with you and she said one time she said that's okay i can just cuddle closer to you and stay warm you know and things like that just to say like instead of griping about it so i'm thinking well if she can say that i can at least go in and turn the the blanket the uh, electric blanket on and try to take care of her i'm trying to tell you today that we need to have 
some concern about our relationship with the Lord and let Him know that we appreciate Him. Yes, we're going through difficult times. You'll always have challenging times. But he says, and he tells this church in Philadelphia, if you're still holding to chapter 3, when we backed over to chapter 1, before I went to, back to Isaiah, if you're still at chapter 3, he says, he tells the Philadelphia church there, he says, I know, in verse 8, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Man, I'm, I'm going to do something for you that nobody else can, they can't change it. I'm going to take care of you on this deal. And I know that you have a little, a little strength, Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I know it's been tough on you. And I know that trials and tribulations have come. But through all of that, you never denied my name. You have been, you've been, you stayed with me. You believed in me. You trusted me. You had faith in me the whole way. This is what Jesus is saying to this bride that he's talking to here. And he says, I know that you have a little strength and have not denied my name. And he talks about those at the synagogue of Satan and various things like that of what he's going to do. And then in verse... 10, he says, since you have kept my command to endure patiently. Since you have kept my command to endure, to continue doing something in spite of opposition or difficulty, to endure patiently without complaining, basically, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I'm going to turn your electric blanket on. I'm going to get you some hot tea. <laughs> I'm going to take care of you, and you're going to be just comfortable, and you're going to be fine while everybody else is out there with the na weeping and gnash teeth chattering because it's so, so cold outside. That's what he says. I'm going to take care of you. I know you had a hard time. I know it's a rough trip. I know but the whole time you didn't gripe and complain. You didn't deny my name. In other words, he's Jehovah Rapha. He's my healer. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's going to provide no matter what it looks like. He's Jehovah Nisi. I can rally around him if I ever get discouraged. I'm going to take it to him. I'll rally around him and get strengthened. You know, he's, he's my righteousness. He's my sanctification. He's the captain of the Lord's host. When it comes, when we get, when it, life slams us down, we turn around and look at Jesus. And we just cuddle up to him a little bit closer and just stay a little bit warm behind him. Let him break all the cold air from us, take care of us. He says, because you did that and you didn't gripe, he says, I'm going to keep you from every bit of this trial that's coming on the whole face of the earth because you've been faithful. You're like that one, you've been faithful over a few things, I'll make you rule over many things. Where are you today? Where are you today? When he's walking through your, your temple, the temple, your body, your, your soul, your spirit, when he's looking at you with these eyes that see through everything, sees right through to your heart. And when he has to take the word of God to, and he has to judge accordingly, he has to examine your life, your walk, your deeds, your actions according to the word of God, what is he saying? Are you close to him? Or have you lost that loving feeling? We'll talk about that the next time we talk. They lost that loving feeling because the very first church of Ephesus, they forsake their first love. That means abandoned. They abandoned him in the midst of the most extreme time when he needed them. They abandoned him. Bob? Yeah. They abandoned him. The church of Ephesus, he says, man, you've done great. You, you've, everything looks good. you got everything organized. You hate the works that I hate. He said, but I have this one thing against you. 
You have forsaken your first love. That's supposed to be him. You abandoned me. You abandoned me when I needed you the most. When did Jesus need his bride the most? Right now. Right now. Our nation needs a group of people that's on their knees and, and that, that, that can pray and, and that we know that he'll hear from heaven and heal our land. This world needs a group of people that know how to be the bride and, and to, to pray and to intercede and stand in the gap. And more than that, to go and do what, he, what needs to be done. Be his hand extended. Be his feet that walks to that person. You know, when did we see you hungry and we gave you food? When did we see you naked and we clothed you? When did we see you in prison and came and visited you? When did we see you sick and, and we came and helped you? He says, when you've done it unto the least of these... You've done it unto me. That's when he, he needs us now. So who are you? Which one of these wives are you going to be? 